0: The Paul Leslie Hour. Helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie.
1: Hey, it's me. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. And this episode is a little different. We've got an interview that I recorded a year ago with the great George Benson. A lot of you know George Benson as the legendary guitarist, singer, songwriter, recording artist, performer of countless concerts, songs like Breezin', Give Me the Night, Turn Your Love Around, that marvelous interpretation he did of the song on Broadway. He is a force. A lot of recordings, a lot of performances, a lot of collaboration with great artists. The interview with George Benson was recorded under somewhat unique circumstances. I was in Romania And he was in the United States at the time. And I think you're going to be surprised, I was surprised, by how good the sound quality was. For us being on opposite sides of the globe, it sounds pretty good. After the interview with George Benson, as I said, we have something a little different. My good friend Jason Burge and I sat down and we shared a couple of cans, a few cans, of Perrier. Some of you follow me on Instagram, and if you're not, you should be. It's at the Paul Leslie, and I expressed on there my appreciation for the sparkling beverage Perrier, and the people at Perrier were kind enough to send me a few cases of their wonderful beverage, and what's better than sharing Perrier with a friend? You can listen to what we did after the interview. Thanks to Jillian Hamill, who is associated with Perrier, for making that happen. Now let's get into the interview. Our guest is
0: a singer, guitarist, performing and recording artist, a 10-time Grammy Award winner. It's an honor to welcome Mr. George Benson. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Oh, it's all right, man. I hope everything's going all right with you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. What has always been your intention, or your purpose with the art that you create?
2: Well, you know, from a very early stage in life as a kid, people had me stand up in front of classes and even on street corners when they saw me walking around with my ukulele, they would stop me and ask me to perform. Little Joji, sing something for me or play something for me. And so I was used to that. And uh, I guess it planted something in my mind. I always needed to satisfy an audience of some kind so that's still my, my main goal.
0: And how would you say that you satisfy an audience? How is that accomplished?
2: First of all, you got to bring all your tools with you because you're going to be need you don't know which one is going to fit a particular you know thing you're trying to accomplish. Whether that song will go over well might depend on another part of your talent, you know. I got a lot of experiences So I draw from all of them. So I bring all that experience with me to the stage.
0: I want to kind of go back a little bit. What was the atmosphere in your house like when you were growing up?
2: Well, my mother sang all the time. My stepfather had not met her yet. But all through my childhood, I remember my mother singing. She always was humming a tune. Even when she ate, she hummed, (laughs) you know, as a matter of fact, she said when she went to school, they called her Sing, because she was singing all the time. So that was her nickname. My father, he was in the war. He was overseas, World War Two, and he uh, didn't even know I was born, as a matter of fact, until he came from the war. By that time, I was four years old. But he happened to be a musician who played several instruments. He played piano, trombone, and drums. And so my conversation was always about music, especially when I spoke to either one of them. And it was always somebody putting in a request to bring me to their place. Bring, bring little Georgie over and let him sing something for us or, you know, something like that.
0: <laughs> and today, what is the atmosphere in your house like?
2: Well, there's guitars everywhere. And my many years of experience on the road is... Documented in a whole lot of uh, photograph you know albums, I mean I've got the history of my career and these many many photograph albums around you know so any if I want to go to any portion of my career, I just grab a couple of those off or four or five of them off the shelf and they take me through the whole thing all over again <laughs> and it's exciting to see what has happened you know. Because in the early days, we weren't getting much attention. When I came out on the road to perform, you know, for the world, I was 19 years old. And very few people knew who I was. But that changed very quickly. So my history is in the books. And when I look around, my, I have two offices here. I'm in one of them now. And I see pictures of me with very famous people, some not so famous, but very close to my heart. I see a statue, a small a small. Statue of my producer, Tommy LaPuma, who produced the song, This Masquerade, that changed my whole life. I see a picture of my son with Whitney Houston when they both were very young. And I see a picture of Natalie Cole. She's looking very beautiful. And I see a replica of of the star that I have on uh, Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. They sent me a replica of it. So those are just a few of the things I'm looking at at the time.
0: You mentioned a lot of names there, very iconic names. Who would you say has taught you the most about music?
2: Charlie Parker. And my father was a good friend of his, and he talked about Charlie Parker all the time. But I didn't become familiar with him until I was about 17 years old. I started going to jam sessions. And after a while, I realized most of the songs that the jazz musicians were playing were inspired by Charlie Parker. They were trying to play bebop. And Charlie Parker was one of the founders of bebop music. He, along with Charlie Christian and Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk, Yeah, so, you know, I had an auspicious beginning, but but it all came together when I finally realized that Charlie Parker was the shaker in the mover. So I began to, to look out for him and study his concepts. I haven't caught up with him yet, but I sure love him still.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with vocalist and guitarist George Benson. Would you say that music is a brotherhood?
2: I feel a kinship to all musicians, especially to guitar players, and piano players and saxophone players. But guitar players, we have a particular you know, challenge ahead of us, and I understand that challenge, so I'm very close to guitar players all over the planet.
0: You've recorded with so many incredible guitarists, the late Chet Atkins, also Earl Clue, Lee Rittenhauer, and then also other artists like Stevie Wonder, Freddie Hubbard, Al Jarreau. Is there any that stands out the most in your mind?
2: Well, first of all, when you mention one of them's names, you know, one of the names you mention, any one of them, a whole lifetime goes through my mind. I think about the great times we had putting putting together the music, not knowing exactly what we were going to play, but we had the musicianship to, to challenge almost anything put before us. And uh, when I listen at the records, I don't believe how wonderful they came out, you know, because we went in with very scanty ideas, which is what we prefer to do, to tell you the truth. We like the scanty ideas that allows us to add things of of interest on top of the the outline that they bring to the studio. And all the songs were good on the album with Earl Clue, for instance. And he, being like myself, a, a lover of guitar, we already had enough kinship and enough friendship going till it was just a pleasant situation all the way around, and the record proved it. We sold millions of records, and the record stands out in my, in my discography.
0: What kind of man is Earl Clue?
2: One of the kindest, gentlest fellows I've ever met. He reminds me a lot of his hero, Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins was like that, too. But Chet Atkins had so much power (laughs) in his domain down in Nashville, Tennessee. He was King Chet Atkins, you know. And when he picked up the guitar, you know why they called him King. And you could see where other guitar players had styled themselves after him. He he set a precedence for guitar playing, and it, it still stands today. He was a very, very friendly guy, and he always surprised me when he picked up to get to the car. I thought I knew what he was going to play, and he would play something altogether different. And so, so we enjoyed being around each other. He treated me like a, like a brother all the time.
0: We're talking with George Benson. Is there any competition with anybody else?
2: There's always competition, but I don't prefer it, to tell you the truth. I know the competition really can hamper, it it hampers talent, because if you go in there thinking you got to beat somebody up to make a statement, that's the wrong reason for playing. The right reason for playing is because you love music and you love your audience. That's the best reason to play, not to go and hurt somebody's career or beat somebody up on the bandstand. And I have a problem with that, you know, because people expect me, because my name is George Benson, and I have so many accolades in front of me, you know, or behind me or whatever it is. They expect me to go out there and chop people to pieces, you know. And I don't enjoy doing that. I like to play for the sake of playing and learn something all the while. You know, once I went on a tour with McCoy Tyner, one of the greatest musicians I think I've ever met in my life. And I learned so much. And the reason why I learned is because I learned to listen. And that's always been my best attribute. I have big ears. And by being on the bandstand with a man with that much talent and and listening to him talk about his, his coming up and how he got to be McCoy Tyner, one of the most respected musicians in the world, and playing with one of the greatest artists of our time, John Coltrane, those were valuable invaluable in the sense that it's not going to happen again it happened once now i met john coltrane but i didn't hang around him like mccoy so he could speak about him in depth and i did hear them together in the early days and it was a powerful powerful thing that i ingested by being around them and then later when i took mccoy tyner on the road with me it was hard for me to do my show because i was busy listening (laughs) at him play. And every time he does the piano, he he made gigantic statements. So I'm still in the learning stage. And every time I hear his name, I think about the things I learned from him.
0: Based on what you just said, why is it important for an artist to love his or her audience?
2: I consider that the reason why I'm playing One of the main reasons why. I mean, when I'm by myself at home, I pick up the guitar and I'm very happy to go tickling around, you know, and and creating new vibes, things that have not that I've not heard before. But um, the audience kind of makes you, it brings it back, it allows you to exercise all those things that you heard when you were practicing at home. Now they're going to have an effect on thousands at a time, and this is your time to. To get to know whether the things you're working on are valid, whether they actually mean anything, do they mean the same thing to the audience as they do to you when you were practicing them or putting them together? It's a it's a testing ground, but it's a good it's a good thing because it can make so many people happy. So it's it's something that I enjoy doing better than making records and any other entity that I do you know that I enter into. I love that, just being in front of an audience and making people happy.
0: There's a lot of universal themes that go through music. Love, death, the meaning of life, religion, there's many. What topic would you say has dominated your music the
2: most? Romance. Music can be very, very romantic. I'm not a political person, I don't like that kind of thing. Like I said, I don't like war, and ball- you know, battles and things like that. So most of my stuff is not about that. It's usually about a relationship of some kind. Or if it's dance music, it's, it's basically it basically leans towards making people, you know, move, you know. And uh, that's important too because I find that people don't really like sitting in the same spot for two hours. They want to be a part of it. <laughs> so I... Even if I'm being serious with my guitar, I break that up and put something danceable into something that they can join in, either singing or dancing. They use it as a dance thing. They jump up and they wiggle around, you know, and pat their feet. And that shows me the, their feelings about my music.
0: We're joined by George Benson. In today's world, what should the role of an artist be?
2: Well, it's a, it's a heck of a field because, like you mentioned earlier, you can make any kind of statement from a standing. It's actually a pulpit uh, for people, some people, or uh, they they use it to to air their particular things. You know, to get a message out of some kind. I don't particularly like to do that. I like to keep it on the entertainment side because. Uh, Deep down, that's what I am, an entertainer who happens to be knowledgeable in the guitar world. I hung out with the greatest musicians of our time, Barney Kessel, Jim Hall, Kenny Burrell, Tal Farlow, and people like that. And so uh, I still feel them, although some of them are gone. I still feel them when I pick up the guitar. Every now and then, I'll hit something that reminds me of one of them, especially Tal Varlow, because he was so different. (laughs) And also Hank Garland, who was a a rhythm king and a a, a harmony man. He was a man who had great control of both rhythm and harmony. Although he was a country musician, basically, he had talent outside of that because he had so much facility. He could actually play anything he wanted. So I think about people like that, and that's what keeps me straight.
0: What is the best compliment you've ever received as a musician?
2: Probably Record of the Year at the Grammy Awards because it was very unexpected. And I was already happy just to be mentioned alongside of the people who were, who were being featured that year and they had really great talent that year. The people that I ran against were some of the best performers in the world and they had great records. Both of my competition had records that I loved, so I didn't think I would win. But when Barbara Streisand said, and the winner is George Benson, everybody leaped to their feet, including me. <laughs> it was a highlight of my life to tell you. And from that moment on, everything changed. My whole life changed. So it's, it's a great moment in my life, yes. What
0: did you think and how did you feel when Frank Sinatra told you that you were the great guitar player, his favorite.
2: Wow. Can you imagine? He, he, I heard him. I was in the studio making a record with the great Frank Sinatra. And then I heard his voice. I know his voice very well. He could be talking to sing. I, I wouldn't know it anywhere. But I heard him say, hey, George. I said, he can't be talking to me because he doesn't know me. So I'm looking around for the other George that he must be talking to. And sure enough, he was looking at me and, hey, George, bring your stool over here and sit beside me, he said. I said to myself, this cannot be happening. (laughs) And it was a little scary because I thought he was going to ask me to do something I might not be able to do, you know. But he told me just what you said. He said, "Dave, everyone knows your guitar playing. I love your guitar playing. He said, but I also love your voice. And when he said that to me, I thought about all the critics who panned my voice and said, No, George Benson should not sing. He should play, he's not a singer, and so forth and so on. All of that went out the window. I finally dismissed all of those terrible assessments of my vocal talent. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sinatra is very important to me. He straightens out a lot of things when I'm feeling strange. I think about that statement, and all of the strangeness goes away.
0: We recently lost one of the greats in music, Al Jarreau. What did you learn from Al Jarreau?
2: How important it is to be different. You don't have to have a whole lot of different things, just one. Of course, Al had a lot. But his voice, the color of his voice and the way he approached music... As if he wrote every song. And don't get me wrong, he did write a lot of songs. But he he could take a song that was already a classic and turn it around and and make it sound like it was, he, had, he had to write it. Because he did it so well. <laughs> you would say, did Al write that song? And you know, Diagon, well, he didn't. <laughs> and one song in question would be his version of Take Five. When I heard him sing, that was the first thing I heard him sing live. And I just played it in... I played it on the guitar. I was not known as a singer then. And then he came up on I had just played it and then he came up on the stage and sang it and I said, Wow, I never thought about that (laughs) you know. But when we were recording together, I knew that if I took a song that people knew already and they heard Al do it, which he he wasn't used to doing things that way. He used to making up things in the studio, you know. He knew he was gonna knock people's socks off. I said, why not do it in a song that they're familiar with? And at first he resisted. But when he got around to singing it, it was just like magically, it was fresh air all the time. When he opened his mouth or when he just walked out on the stage, there was something about his mannerism. And when he opened his mouth, that different voice came out and you were in another place. It was like a stage show with art, real true artistic talent, you know? So uh, I really enjoyed him. I enjoyed just standing back watching him work.
0: What is the best thing about being George Benson?
2: I'm glad I had an opportunity to uh, to do what I didn't think was was anything particularly great in the beginning. Music was so natural to me. I didn't think it was anything big, you know, just to be known as a musician. Then they start saying, "I'll pay you to sing," and I said, "Well, I got used to that. They were meant to be in the music world. John Coltrane, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it just was uh, I-, I never imagined my name being anything. And when I teach, when I talk to my public, I bring up something they do understand. One guy said to me, you know, my name is so ordinary. I know I don't never mean nothing in the music world. George. He said, you think I should change my, my name? I said, no. So, you ever heard of Engelbert Humperdinck? <laughs> and he got the message. Any name is what you do with that name and what that name represents that makes the difference. So I finally learned to live with the fact that I'm going to be George Benson all my life. And all I can do is make the best of it. And the audience has put a meaning to that name. So, yeah, I'm very glad to be George Benson. Happy with that.
0: I'd like to give you the stage as we close here to our audience, wherever they are, whoever they are. What would you say to them?
2: My main thing that I always say to people is I hope I get an opportunity to show you what I'm doing right now. You know, because I practice every day just about. And uh, I'm always thinking of something that has not been done before. But, you know, you can't just... Slap people around with it, you know. You can't just knock, people, oh yeah, knock their socks off with that. You have to work it into what they already know because they expect to see the George Benson they know. So you got to give them that. And then you add one or two new things or nuances to what you already do, and then you're, you're on your way to another successful year and another, another successful concert. So I hope I get an opportunity to play some for you. People out there, wherever you are. I like the country, Romania, that you said you were in. I've been there, and it's just fantastic. But I like people everywhere in the world, so I'm anxious to play some
0: more music for you. My last question. At heart, who is George Benson?
2: I am a man who is glad to be alive. I like speaking about Spiritual matters. I'm a, also a Bible teacher. Uh, I'm a Bible student first, and then I also teach the Bible. So that's my joyous thing. The most joyous thing I do is helping people to understand the scriptures or studying the Bible with them so we can come to an understanding, is a better way to say that. That's my most joyous thing that I do. And I realize that my gift, which the Bible says everyone has their proper gift of God. I know what mine is, and I'm going to make the most of it. So uh, that's who I am. I'm George Benson, the Bible Bible man and musician.
0: It was very nice to speak to you. Thank you so much.
2: It's my pleasure, my friend. I hope we meet in person the next time.
0: Indeed. <laughs> All right. Thank you. God bless.
2: And God bless you, too. Take it easy.
0: The following is bonus content on the Paul Leslie Hour.
1: So this is a little different. I make a couple of comments about Perrier. The next thing I know, I have three cases of Perrier on my hands. I'm here with my friend Jason. Jason? Hello, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And we're going to do, it's midnight, or it's going to be midnight in about two minutes, and we're going to be doing some binge Perrier drinking. Sounds fantastic. And by the way, not the Perrier Champagne. Perrier, the sparkling water. Okay, so we have three here. We've got the original, the pink grapefruit, which I have to admit is a personal favorite. I think I used to call it Pamplemousse. <laughs> and then we've got lawn as well.
3: Well, I'm excited. I drink a lot of sparkling water, but I haven't tried some of these varieties of Perrier. Okay, Now, just looking at it from a visual standpoint, which one jumps out at you here? I will say that the grapefruit jumps out. I've mostly seen Perrier and Bottle. These are cans, so very cool. Perhaps we should start with original. Right. And then try out these uh, delicious flavors.
1: Okay. Because if we start with the original, then we kind of like have a clean palate. Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to open up the original. This is an eight point four five fluid ounce can. All right. Okay. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
3: first thing I noticed is that there's more complexity to this than other sparkling waters that I've had. Mineral taste is fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. I believe that it's because it is from the source. It's not, it's actually from a spring in France. Okay. I believe that
3: perhaps I have been drinking a lower quality of sparkling water in the past.
1: Okay. Well, for anyone who's listening, I'm not paying him to say that. <laughs> There, there, there's more bubbles. I feel. Yes, but the taste is fantastic. It's great. Yeah, it's it's crisp, hydrating. I would say. Now, even though it is the original, it's clear. If you had a case like I have, would you see yourself cutting fruit and putting it in the in the Perrier, or do you see yourself just like this? I could see both ways, but I
3: I like to sometimes add fruit juice to sparkling water, maybe a little bit of mango orange or maybe a pomegranate blueberry as honestly just a tiny little flavor add. And this would be perfect to add a little splash to it for me.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if you squeeze an entire orange in a sparkling water, that's called a John Murray. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Okay, so I'm finishing up my half of the can. And it's time for round two. I'm thinking lime. Absolutely. Why Why absolutely? Well, the grapefruit's
3: going to have a little bit more of a complex flavor. So, I, I mean, not to say that I don't know what to expect from the lime, but I would say that's the one to try next.
1: Okay. All right. So...
3: And for the purposes of bubbles, maybe we go with a little bit less than the whole can.
1: Less? You don't want the whole thing? Well, (laughs) just so I don't (laughs) fill up too quickly. Hmm. I see. Okay. So. Perfect. All right. So he's got a half glass. I've got a little more. But now we move on to lime, which I haven't had a lime perrier in a long time. My first. Okay. So. Cheers. All right.
3: No, the lime hits the nose right away.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'll have to maybe ask the publicist how they get the flavor. Because it's zero calories. It's zero, I mean, let's see here. Zero everything. Zero sodium, zero carbohydrates, zero sugars. The ingredients are carbonated mineral water and natural flavors.
3: It's subtle, but it's definitely there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And this is absolutely good enough to just drink by itself at any time.
1: Yeah, it's very good. And it's not sweet. I don't like, you know, I don't like a sweet. Now, here comes the question. What kind of person do you think drinks this?
3: Well, you know, they offer it in, you know, more upscale restaurants. Say, would you like Perrier? But they're not offering pairing with Lime. If they did, I would think that this would be an easier choice to make. For myself, I do drink sparkling water. This is better than most other sparkling waters I've had. And so, although I think that I have probably considered them all to be equal, this is far better than other sparkling waters. So perhaps the type of person who drinks this is me.
1: <laughs> well, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> See, I've been a Perrier fan for a long time, I have to say. Believe it or not, this may seem like an exaggeration. It's a luxury, but it's an affordable luxury.
3: Absolutely, and if you look at everything as the same, then I suppose you could just select anything off any shelf, but this is absolutely better than the other types of sparkling water that I tend to buy.
1: Hmm. Well, we're winding things up here. We've got, hold on, I'm going to finish off the lime here. This is real time, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for sure. I'm going to be hydrated. Okay, so, I mean, obviously, I didn't introduce it, but this is the pink grapefruit, which again, I think was formerly known as the pample mousse. where does that name come from? I believe it's French. See that? Ah, there it is. France. Discover more at Perrier.com. So, this is the last one. The pink grapefruit. A little more? Absolutely. Okay. Now this, it's always been, well, not always, but it's my favorite.
3: The pink grapefruit. The
1: pink grapefruit. So here we go. Cheers again. This is... A lot to drink at once, but I I, I have no problem with it. Oh, it smells amazing. Ooh. It's so delicate. Oh, wow, that's great. Mm Mm-hmm. It's great. Kind of floral, but tastes Uh, like pink grapefruit. Well, and that's one of the,
3: I think, advantages of pouring this into a brandy snifter, which we are (laughs) drinking them from, Is you really are picking
1: up uh, a bit of the nose. I didn't think to smell it. But Yes. You can actually smell. Oh, the grapefruit. absolutely! Yeah,
3: that—that's a very you know high quality.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been my favorite for a long time. Now, if Perrier was a song, what song would Perrier be? You can name any genre of artist.
3: Well, I'm gonna go with. Something mellow like a Simon and Garfunkel. It's distinguished, but, you know, there's there's a couple of things going on. You've got, you have the crispness, you have the subtlety of the flavors, and I do believe that this would go well with a whiskey. Really? I absolutely do. You think it'd be a good mixer? Oh, absolutely. With a little bit of whiskey there. Hmm. So, um, it's complex. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But something, something that's subtle, but feels feels traditional, and stands on its own. Mm
1: -hmm. How about you? Well, there are a few songs that mention Perrier, one by Joni Mitchell. Jimmy Buffett has a song called Perrier Blues, which is actually a rock song. (laughs) Uh, But let me think about that for a second. You know, you would maybe think that with Perrier and that it would be something... I don't know, maybe Upper Crust? I think not necessarily. I think it would be something by Cat Stevens. I like it. Can be classy, but really can be down to earth just the same.
3: Well, you want something that works for you every day, but also (laughs) makes you feel like it's
1: something special. Well, I don't know how the listeners felt about this, but that was our Perrier tour tour. We went from original to lime to pink grapefruit. Thanks for doing this. That's a wrap. We'll continue drinking the Perrier, of course. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure.
0: The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.